good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. Welcome to Dischem Medical Monday 101.9 High FM. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. Welcome back. It's uh, been an uh, interesting break, being at home for most of us uh, during the lockdown. Most practices and uh, healthcare workers are opening again under strict instruction. As you heard just now on the Dischem uh, ad break, all of you should get your flu shot. Important now going into winter that flu is uh, going to be present in our community and uh, good that you get your flu shots today. We are very privileged to have Eliana Klein with us. Um, just to tell you a bit about her, Eliana is passionate about teaching parents to raise happy, healthy ethos for life using the evidence-based method um, of um, the SATSA feeding model. She helps parents teach their children um, about healthy, healthy eating. She helps them eliminate feeding challenge, bring back joy and trust to the family table. Her work is aligned with health at every size and intuitive things. So, Liana, that's very complicated. Could I say that you're a children's healthy eating coach or would that be too simple? Um, you could say an eating coach. We really try to stay away from the word healthy, but, yes, helping children to eat well and joyfully. Joyfully and okay. um, for life, yeah. Okay, and how did you get into this? How did this so, so how did I get into this? So, so I have four children, Baruch Hashem, and my oldest daughter is seven and a half. And when she was born, um, at four months, she kind of stopped growing. And the doctors were not concerned. I slipped around to a bunch of pediatricians and nutritionists, and they just said, well, you know, your husband and you are both pretty short, so... She's reaching all her milestones. She's growing slowly on her own curve. So don't worry about it. But I completely freaked out. It was my first child. And I just felt that it was my job to get her to eat and to grow. So I spent the next 18 months um, kind of doing my best to force feed her, um, feeding her as many calories as I could, pouring cream into all her food, completely fixated on trying to get this little girl to grow. And it was very stressful. And it really like um, took up a lot of my mental space. And I really felt there was something wrong with me as a mother. I did not enjoy mealtimes. Um, I, I really dreaded them. And then somehow I came across the Ellen Satter feeding model and everything completely changed. My daughter, who was very like, picky and difficult, um, suddenly started eating new foods and all the stress went off me. And then Baruch Hashem, I had more kids and each of them came with their own eating personalities and more and more, I just saw how much it brought such a calm to my life. And, you know, you feed your children like 45,000 times a day. And I saw other parents, so many parents, just doing their best but struggling with overeating, undereating, picky eating. And I realized that if they would all have access to this model, a huge pressure and stress would be eliminated from their lives and they could just enjoy their children and focus on the real challenges, which you you know you can't eliminate every challenge, but feeding does not have to be a challenge. And can you tell um, us a bit about the model? That, can you tell us a bit about the model that you're describing? Okay, so so the the model is um, like I said in the beginning, it's the Ellen Satter feeding dynamics model. Ellen Satter is a, um, a lady in America. She's a registered dietitian as well as a social worker. So she comes from the social 
point of view, the psychosocial point of view, as well as the, you know, more medical point of view. And her, her model, she runs the Ellen Satter Institute and it's kind of approved in, in the States and a lot of countries as the best model of feeding children. And it's a very simple model. It says that children are basically born with innate hunger and fullness cues. And all we need to do is preserve them and they will grow up into children who eat healthily and have the right body size and have a good relationship to food. Her model is very simple. It breaks down to two parts. The parents have one job and the adults have an- and the children have another job. When every party does their job right, feeding will flourish, whatever that means. So the parents' job is the what, the when, and the where of feeding. So the parent decides what to feed, when to feed, and where to feed. And the child's job is if he eats what's on offer or how much he eats. So in a very simple, simple scenario with no complications, um, I say to my kids, at 6 o'clock we're having supper, there's peas, there's carrots, there's chicken and rice, and you can eat as much or as little as you want. I don't say a word and we move on. Okay, that sounds very, very simple, but obviously real life comes into play with personalities and, you know, opinions and stages and different capabilities and personalities, and it gets, like, quite tricky. But that's the real, that's the very simple model. But, like, okay, also, so what are, yes. Yeah. So what are like, the most all, common? Yes. Okay, you finish and then I'll No, 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 you, you, yeah, I'm listening. Okay, what are the most common questions or challenges that uh, parents bring to you? I'm sure every, um different stage and different age group has its own challenges. So maybe you can go through a few of them different ages. Yes, yeah, 100%. So what you're saying is so important, and I'm sure that you are, um, you'll understand from the, you know, the ENT point of view. I'll go through the three challenges, and then in the stages we can also go through it. So if I would break it down into the three um, kind of most common questions or groups I get. One is, my child is so picky, he won't eat anything. He'll only eat schnitzel from... Um, I don't know, Moishis, and he'll only eat um, this kind of bread and the child, the parents are really worried about the variety of food the child is eating. They don't think they're getting enough nutrition and they end up catering a lot to the child. So everyone else is having, you know, um, spaghetti bolognese for supper, but they're going to go and make this child schnitzel and potatoes because that's all they'll eat. Okay, and that's, this kind of starts at a young age and this they don't grow out of if you do it wrong. The other question I get a lot is, parents who have children who either always have been kind of on the larger side um, on the I'm putting a quote unquote overweight what they think is overweight they might have big appetites they eat too much often at a certain age pre-puberty they start putting on weight very normally parents don't understand this and they start worrying and they say my child you know used to be so skinny and now they kind of just getting so much bigger what am I doing wrong what should I do and that could be at any age or you know they're two or three and they've always been bigger they love eating you know what should I do is there something wrong and the other challenge which is kind of through the ages whatever size a child is is um junk food my child is obsessed with junk food it's never enough they're always begging for it I'm the policeman I hate it um what's normal what's not normal um what can I do so if we break those down, it's kind of the picky eating, the under-eating, the overeating, the weight challenges. This is very broad. You can have a picky eater who's overweight, if parents believe is overweight. You can have an under-eater who um, is also could be, you know, on the bigger end of the weight spectrum, and then the junk food. So if we break it down into three categories. Okay. We're going to take a shorter ad break, and then afterwards we can uh, maybe speak about an approach to some of these different problems. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care.
Welcome back to Discare Medical Monday. This is your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. If you live alone, especially during these days, then you need to know about the HIFM helpline. Check-in service. Our counselors will call you on a regular basis to check in and make sure you're okay. It's available to anyone of any age who feels a need for it. Make contact with us by calling the helpline on 0800 242436. That's 0800 242436. Chaifem, 101.9 megahertz of serving the community. Welcome back to Disney Medical Monday. We are speaking to Eliana, children, Eliana Khan, public feeding coach. I can call you there. Um, we're just speaking yeah. about the com- most common problems um, that uh, children have, and we're talking about overeating, undereating, picky eating, um, and uh, why do you think uh, feeding challenges are so common with uh, children? Well, I think there's a, a bunch of reasons. The first one is that people don't understand the natural progression of eating. So, you know, you can have different – firstly, they're different temperaments. So you can have a child who talks a lot. You can have a child who talks – Less. You can have a child who walked early, a child who kind of walked much later. People don't understand that feeding is actually, and eating is a competence, and children will progress at a certain level according to their natural abilities and their temperament. So often you'll have a child who maybe is at a certain age and they're not eating, you know, my one child eats everything, my other child eats a few things, there's something wrong with them. They don't really understand that it's very normal. Um, for young children, especially, say, from like the age of one till five, all foods are new, and it takes some children a long time to learn new foods and some children to um, uh, less time to like new foods. The other thing is they don't appreciate the difference in body and personality. So like I said, you can have a child who's a big eater and a child who's a small eater. They like, they compare themselves to their friends. They compare themselves to what they see on Instagram, on Facebook. There's so much information out there about what the perfect eater looks like, you know, all these gourmet organic meals for your child, but some children just, you know, all they want to eat is one thing, and there's actually nothing wrong with that. It's actually very age-appropriate, psychologically appropriate, and our job is just to keep providing opportunities in a gentle way and help them move along in their own stage. So I would say a lot of a misunderstanding of natural growth, natural temperaments, normal eating. So, it's, so often parents will say to me, you know, my child will love one thing and then go off it. So they'll eat it, you know, for five weeks every single day for supper and then they'll suddenly won't eat it anymore and they'll think there's something terribly wrong with them. This is very normal. When you do a survey of many parents, they'll tell you that little children especially are exceptionally erratic and unpredictable when it comes to eating. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It means just a lot of understanding that don't eat three, they don't eat a balanced meal. They'll eat a balanced intake over time, but often, you know, they'll only eat potatoes at a meal and the next meal they'll only eat chicken and then the next meal they'll only eat apples. But when you actually do a survey of what they've eaten over a week, we see that it actually is pretty balanced. So a lot of misunderstanding about what normal eating is, a lot of expectations and a lot of pressure from parents themselves to, you know, to raise the perfect eater. You know, you get such praise that someone says your child's such a good eater. You know, it's actually your child's innate ability that they happen to like food and you are supporting them. But if your child doesn't like food and is a very picky eater, it's also not your fault. So, so I hope that's kind of clear. It's a lot of misunderstandings of ages and stages and appreciating different temperaments, different body types and different um, developmental stages. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I know I went through a stage. My mom told me that. I only used to eat things that were white. Cauliflower and pasta were my my two staples. But if there's children who are just uh, picky eaters, that they, they just want to eat one thing, you're saying that um, 
over long term that they'll probably be eating more than one thing and it'll be healthy. But what happens if a child wants to just eat pasta and that's it and it's just uh, starch the whole time? What do you do about extra okay. nutrients or, or fiber okay. or what else uh, that they okay. need to in? Okay. So that's a great question. So firstly, I'm going to emphasize I'm not a medical or mental health professional, which means I do very, um, you know, the, I help parents who there isn't a medical or mental health problem. And we do kind of a first line approach where the child is perfectly developmentally healthy, getting, but the parents are very worried. If you are truly worried about your child, you take them to a dietitian or their pediatrician and you do a real, um, food survey, uh, you track what they're eating over a week and you'll see if they're nutrient deficient or not. And if they're not, um, if they are, your pediatrician or your dietitian will help you. And if they, and mostly parents are not, I'm sorry, mostly children are not deficient. So what do parents say? My children doesn't like protein. They think that protein only happens in chicken and meat and legumes and things like that. They don't know that the amount of protein a child actually needs is so minimal that two slices of bread and a glass of milk a day will actually cover it. So like I said, a lot of misinformation, misunderstanding on what healthy eating actually is, right? So um, I have a son, he's three and a half, he's almost four, and which is really funny because he's my child. He literally has not eaten a thing which has grown from the ground. I'm talking about like a visible fruit or vegetable in about three years. And he will, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, his whole menu is white and brown. And he'll kind of once in a while eat vegetables in soup and maybe in a smoothie. He knows what they all are called. He sees them every single day. And his whole diet is white and brown. And I was concerned. I still am concerned. But I know that he is very healthy. He's meeting all his milestones. He's growing. His digestion's working properly. So if it wasn't the case, and I didn't know what I knew, I would be completely paranoid. I mean, every parent wants their child to eat some fruit and vegetables. And this is a child who will religiously pick out the peas from the stew because he'll see that they're green. And my approach is to slowly start incorporating them. I recently tasted a cucumber and tasted a piece of lettuce, which for us was like totally groundbreaking. Um, so your question was about is if your child is nutrient deficient, absolutely you have to take care of it in very extreme cases. And I'm sure you might have seen this in the hospital. If a child is an extreme picky eater for whatever reason, which means that maybe eat two foods, they might need a feeding tube. Right, they might need um, um, pediatrician yeah, or something. Like they or might, like they might need supplements, but that's at a very extreme case. And most parents who worry about their kids' picky eating are not that. You have to really eat very terribly for your child to be deficient in a in a in a certain um, vitamin or mineral. For example, even oats um, have you know a whole bunch of um, different macronutrients and micronutrients which we need. Protein is in a lot of things. A lot of food today is fortified, which is actually very good for picky eaters. So kind of the government bread, which we get, is very fortified for, you know, the majority of the population. And it's got a lot of nutrients, which which your child, you know, can get if they're not getting from other sources. So does that make sense? Yes, sure. So um, now while we're talking about picky eating, like uh, what age do children usually become picky eaters? What are the causes? And what's a, normal what's not normal? How do you know, like uh, – when you should seek advice about it. Okay, so that's a great question. So th- this is a very common thing. Parents say, my child was such an amazing eater. They loved solids. They ate the broccoli and the carrots and the lentils and the sardines. And suddenly they're like one, one and a half, and they now don't eat anything. Now all they want to eat is wheat bits or all they want to eat is OTs or all they want to eat is um, macaroni cheese. So like I said in the beginning, it's so important to understand 
the ages and stages. So from the age of zero to one, a child is growing rapidly, right? They kind of triple their birth weight within 12 months and their nutritional needs are very high. As they get older, their growth slows and their nutritional needs slow down, which means they start needing to eat less, right? Less of those nutrient-rich foods. At the same time, just to torment parents, especially mothers, they start individuating. They start realizing, oh, I'm a different person to my mommy. I can say no. And they start craving independence. This is a psychologically very healthy, very healthy um, process, right? And what does this mean? This means that mealtimes can become nightmares because suddenly the child needs less food. They suddenly become wary of, of different foods and they suddenly start needing independence. So if the parents do it wrong, the, they realize that they can really annoy their parents at meals, not on purpose, but they can say no. They can want to say no. Um, they become cautious. They become erratic. They become picky. They become fickle. Sometimes they eat a ton. Sometimes they don't eat a ton. And this period is often when feeding goes down the tubes and parents get very, very anxious and they start all these behaviors which are very destructive. So they start doing things like walking around with a spoon feeding their child. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever done it? I've done it. I've before. done it. I've done it. I've done it. Yeah, I of course you've done it, right? You just need your kid to eat, right? But when this becomes the mainstream approach in the home, then it becomes very damaging. So that you walk around feeding your child, you feed them while they're watching YouTube, you make little yeah. airplane yeah. sounds, come on, eat, you're such a good boy, you clap, yeah. you take over the job of their feeding. It becomes a game, a pressure evolves, and the child will either um, respond in a worse way or they'll eat it. But what have you really taught them? That I'm in charge of feeding them. They start to misbehave. So this brings us to another very important principle is that any pressure, any pressure is destructive to feeding. And often at that age, because parents don't understand the psychological development, which is healthy when your child is saying, no, 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 I don't want to eat this. It means they start to have their own opinions, right? They, and, and also their nutritional needs go down. That really makes a perfect storm. And it's parents found it very stressful. And it's in, they start on like kind of a lifelong feeding battle as opposed to just riding with it, waiting it out, trusting the process, trusting the child. And with time, things really start changing. So I have a little boy. I think we, our little boys are the same age. Okay. He's five Eliana, and a half. Before, yes. Before we start to that, can we, take, can we take another short air yes. break and then we'll get on yes. to on to yes. All right. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back. Welcome back to Discare Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. As an essential service provider, Discare is open and with you all the way. Discare is working tirelessly to ensure that our shelves are stocked and can provide you with all your necessary essentials. During this lockdown period, our dispensary and clinics are open from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. weekdays and 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. on weekends. Discare, pharmacists who care. Welcome back. We are speaking to Eliana Klein about uh, children's nutrition and um, feeding, we were just talking about picky eaters and children deciding now that they can dictate the way they eat. And, uh, you know, I think one of the worst things we can do is judge other people. I remember discussing with my wife, she had a nephew, uh, a cousin, that you could do anything to him as long as he was watching Barney. You could uh, feed him, dress him, clean him. And I remember being so judgmental and finding ourselves in the same situation that we were trying to almost put the food in the mouths while they were distracted. <laughs> Uh, watching something else and you realize that um, can't be judgmental the kids are all probably going to go through something 
um, like this uh, with our children. So you, just as you're saying, you're giving an example about um, so, so parents trying to walk around the house with a spoon and trying to feed them while, they, while they're eating and the reaction that the child can give. Either they're going to uh, realize that they are in control or they, or it's going to be a positive or a negative uh, reaction. You were giving an example about your child. When we I was giving an example about my son. So like I said in the beginning, my daughter, who was kind of the reason why I got into this, is now like an amazing eater. She kind of eats everything and anything. She enjoys food. She likes trying new foods. And each of my children have such a different eating temperament. And I'm so grateful every day that I have this model because it would be so stressful out there. So my son is five and a half. He's turning six in August. And he, since he was about two, he's been a very selective eater, which means it takes him a long time to like new foods. Um, for many, many meals, he would only eat fruit for supper. Um, he also is a child who his appetite is bigger in the morning than in the afternoon, which is something I learned about. Right, so I accepted that and try, you know, offer him more filling foods in the morning. And recently, literally over this lockdown period, he started, he ate about 10 new foods. And every single time he ate a new food, I wanted to dance on the table. I looked at my husband, we smiled, but I just knew that I shouldn't do that because it's going to feel like a form of pressure. But more than that, this is now three years. That's a very long time of him seeing the food in a non-pressurized way, having opportunities to eat it, to see it, to smell it, to ask what it's called, and to slowly start, you know, breaking out. It might never have happened. It might have happened. I'm still waiting for my other son to eat a fruit. Um, but this is your best chance of, of your children in the long term having a balanced, varied diet. So it's a very trust-based approach. It's a very patient approach. And exactly what you started out the segment saying there's absolutely no judgment, you know. I, I, you know, I laugh when people look at me and they say, "Oh, your children must eat so healthily." I laugh about my child who literally has a brown and white diet, and there's no judgment. You never know what the parent is going through. You never know what the family is going through. You know, often, you know, people will say will, will say things, and parents judge themselves a lot, especially mothers. And a lot of the work I do is actually saying to parents. Take all the pressure off. It doesn't need to be an organic, home-cooked, five-course meal every meal. If it's hot dogs throughout lockdown, that's 100% okay. And it's really about the relationship to food and the anxiety more than the actual nutrition. Nutrition will come in time when all the anxiety kind of gets reduced. But a lot of my work is talking to parents and saying, you know, I've just had a new baby, and they'll tell me, and or we've just moved house, and my kids are just going through a very difficult stage, and every morning they eat so-and-so, and I feel so bad about it, and then they just eat chocolate spread and bread, and I feel so bad about it. And a lot, most of my work is saying it's 100% okay. It's a stage. If it's a few months or a few weeks where you just need to get through it, it will be 100% fine. Children are very resilient. Their bodies are very resilient. And you have to really feed a child exceptionally badly to do harm to them. And a lot of the messaging out there is every meal is important. Every food is important. There's a superfood. An avocado is a superfood. If your child eats this, you're a super mother. And it's actually 100% not true. It's about a whole approach and a balanced diet over time. Right? So you're, you may be only a cauliflower and pasta for a few months, but over the years, you, you know you had a balanced diet and you grew up to eat a balanced diet. Does that make I sense? Think a lot of it, yeah, sure. Yes. I think a lot of it is, is parent guilt. Um, yes. Just, you know, you, you feel that your child hasn't eaten supper or they're not eating well, so you want them to eat what you think is, what you think is good. But it, am I right in saying that children won't starve themselves? If they're hungry, they'll eat. So, so that's a great question. As a, as a medical practitioner, you'll understand. So, yes and no. Yes and no. The general fact is, the general belief is that children won't starve themselves. There's actually a condition which you can 
which you might be interested in, called ARFID. It's called the Weight and Restricted Food Intake Disorder. And it's when food becomes so painful and so traumatic that a child like that will actually starve themselves. This is a very extreme case. Sure, so I've had, I've had can, cases with, with, with younger you, kids so, who've had such bad, such bad reflux such, that they associate the such bottle bad with, reflux that with, burn, with burning with pain. if you have to take bottles, yeah. yeah. Right, so, so how do you treat that? Oh, that's difficult. That's hospital and tubes and hospital uh, and tubes care, and and sometimes operations and physio very, and speech and OT and uh, long yes, long journey. Yes, very rare, right. so, but uh, so that's a case. That's a case where a child will starve themselves because feeling is associated with such pain that their preservation of their body and their pain will override their need for food. Right, that's a very extreme case. Right, but to say that a child will never starve themselves is not accurate. In a, in a kind of a much lesser environment or much less extreme, you can think of a child who's not that hungry or they're hungry. They come to the table. They kind of maybe are like sensory or they're kind of more sensitive and the parents are busy like barking instructions. Don't touch your brother's plate. Use your fork. Use your knife. Try this. Try this. Your mummy said it's nice. Try this. You laughed at it. Your granny. You ate this at your friend. And kind of there's this sensory overload. Their stress levels go higher. Their adrenaline goes higher. And their need for food goes lower, right? You know, when you're stressed out, right? You know, maybe you have an emergency theater or something and you are starving. You'll totally forget about it until your emotions balance out. Am I right? Yeah, sure. So, so parents don't realize that for little children, often the environment around the table is so stressful that they're actually not allowing the child to actually listen to their hunger cues. Um, it's, it's complex. There's obviously, you know, um, you need to assess the oral motor challenges, the physio challenges. If a child can't chew, can't chew properly, no matter how nice the meal is, they're not going to be able to eat that piece of chicken. So it's really a multi-pronged approach. And in America, you'll work in a multidisciplinary team. So you'll have a feeding therapist who's a dietitian who works with a social worker with an OT who's all trained in the trust-based feeding model and they'll all work to support the child in a trust-based feeding way and they'll obviously that, that they'll um, they can remove tubes like that and everything but it's a long slow process will a child starve themselves in the long term no but your child will miss meals your child will also mark you know you'll think they're hungrier than they are right you'll think they're starving themselves they're not or you'll do something like letting them have juice or milk between every meal and you'll think they have to be hungry but because their tummies are so small you've taken the edge off their hunger and they're not hungry. So you think they're starving themselves when they're actually not hungry. Right. So um, kind of I want to segue into the next most important thing. So we've kind of spoken a lot about the challenges. So how should you feed your child? Right. I mean, yes. you shouldn't pressurize them. You shouldn't reward them. The most, most, most important thing, which I say to parents, is it's not about what you're feeding them. It's not about the quality of the food. Obviously, if you want to, and you, everyone, every family has different standards of what they believe is you know, healthy, what, what is not healthy, just as an aside, when you talk about judgment, before, you know, I had kids or when my daughter was little, I was a very judgmental parent. I would go into friends' houses and see what they fed their kids and I would say to them or think to myself, ooh, how can you feed your child that? That's so unhealthy, it's so processed, it's got so much sugar. And it's really not about judgment. Every family has their own standards and their own values around food like they have about everything else. So, that a lot of the focus today is on the what, you know, no sugar, organic, spelt, quinoa, all these things. And parents forget about the most important thing, which is the when, which is structure, 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 structure. Structure means that you have a meal, you have a snack, you have a meal, you have a snack, and that's it. You don't have to eat at the meal if you don't want to. You must be there because you're important to the family. But snacking between meals 
is literally the thing which takes which which ruins all of meals. So parents will make a really nice supper, which they know their child likes, and they know their child would eat if they were hungry, and they come to the meal, and it's 6 o'clock, and the child won't touch it. And the parents are devastated. They spend so much effort. They know that they're going to wake up in the night for milk. They know they're going to be in a bad mood. And they and they start the fast start. You have to eat this else you can't watch Paw Patrol. If you eat this, you can get dessert. The bribing, the clapping. You're such a good boy. Look at that. You're tasting it. All these things are very, very counterproductive. Instead, when we actually look at it, what happened? At 5.15, the child said they were hungry. And the mother said, okay, you can have a yogurt. Right? Which wasn't, yes. there's nothing wrong with having a yogurt. There's nothing wrong with giving them a biscuit. It's not about the what. But if they would have just said, you can wait or move supper earlier, the child would have eaten. So the first, first, first principle is children need to come to a meal hungry. When they're hungry, they'll try new foods, maybe. When they're hungry, they'll eat till fullness. When they, then you, you know, the snacking all the time. You see these little kids walking around with these little bags of pretzels and, you know, their little snack, snack bag. Heaven for 10, they should be without a snack for five and a half seconds. If you choose to feed your child like that, that's a hundred percent fine, but at least understand that it's going to impact on their ability to eat properly and to try new foods. My son, the one so who's starting, yes. yes, yeah, what's not a good so snack and what's, what's a good snack and what's a, what's a, bad, what's a bad snack? So we yeah. definitely stay away from good and bad. We don't label food. We don't moralize food. But if you talk about snacks, the first thing about snacks is it's a sit down snack, which means it's not a handout in the kitchen. Oh, I'm hungry, have a few pretzels, have a few pieces of popcorn. Ideally, in the ideal world, it's a snack, which is, say, breakfast is at 7, at 10 o'clock, everyone come to the table, we're having a snack. Now, when I say a good snack and a bad snack, it's a great question, because if you give your child who's got a very, you know, high, high energy levels, they're running around a lot, they're jumping on the trampoline, they digest food very quickly, so you give them an apple, and then you say, but they're still hungry, then they need another snack, Right. So when we look at snacks, we look at them in mini meals and we try and make them sustaining. So we try and give at least two or three food groups in a snack. So if you give them an apple, it probably won't, won't last them long, depending on your child's appetite, depending on their metabolism, depending on their energy levels. But if you give them apples and a cracker and peanut butter, that is a good snack because it's got a bunch of food groups and it will last them till the next meal. Does that make sense? So often parents will give chips as a snack. So I'm nothing wrong with giving my children chips as a snack, but I'll always try to give it with tuna or with cheese or with, um, I don't know, something which will help it to actually sustain them for a longer period of time. Else you become a 24-hour restaurant. I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. Parents go mad. I don't know, have you felt this at home during lockdown? Your kids are always hungry. True, the same as us. We're also always hungry. The same as us. We're always hungry. And, and that's a good snack. So a good snack is a snack which is at the right time. And it's got enough different food groups to to um, to sustain them. And how long after? How long after? Let's say, let's choose uh, arbitrary values that you you serve breakfast at seven. How should the rest of your your day okay. look? Kind of okay, how? So, when so when's your a, first snack? When's lunch? When's second snack? Okay. When's supper? Okay. So so it's very important to know that there's no there's no you know you have to have lunch at this time it's a concept of planning snack the concept of planning and structure which means that if your child had a big breakfast of eggs and toast and they and you know them and they and you know that they don't have such a big appetite then maybe at like 10 or 11 you can give them if they're little if they're little say between like three and eight every two to three hours you want to give them a snack and when they're older, they can last between three and four hours. So it really depends on the age as well as your child. Some kids can go much longer without needing to eat, and some kids can go much shorter. If you have a bunch of children at home, like many of us do, thank God, then it's just planning around that and being flexible within that. So um, 
I confess to you this lockdown I haven't been very good at this, but it's made my life much harder. Um, cause I'm constantly having to think of things to eat, for them to eat. And when I do this, it really, really makes it easier. Then you don't have to, you're not a 24 hour restaurant and, and they actually eat and then you move on with your day. So a good snack again is a good snack at the right time and enough food, enough different food groups. And also it's not like a handout. It's not like I'm hungry. Okay. Have a biscuit. There's nothing wrong with eating biscuits. Sit down at the table, have biscuits and grapes. And a piece of cheese and then move on. Go back to playing and tell them there's no other food till lunchtime. And when we do this, it really does work very well. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I mean, you, so, but you said times of the most have to be the most consistent thing. Six o'clock, you say it's supper time, come and eat. No, no, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be every night at six o'clock. If some nights it's at yeah. five o'clock and some nights it's at seven o'clock, the important yes. thing that there is a time and that you are in charge of the time. Which means that, um, and obviously like little, like little babies, you feed them on demand. And as they get older, they learn to wait and wait and wait a bit more to create the structure that they come hungry to a meal, that they'll eat what's presented if they want to. And then you can move on with the day. I don't know if you've ever had it that when your kids get into bed, they say they're hungry. Have you ever had that? Yeah, of course. Of course. I think every day it is. You just like, supper was half an hour ago. I actually just can't. So what do you, I mean, what do you do in that case? Do you wake up and okay. give them supper or do you give them a snack? Okay, so so it really depends on your child's age and a whole bunch of things. In general, it goes like this. I'll tell you when Ella, she's now seven and a half, when she was, when I started learning this, she was about three and a half, and every night she would get into bed and she would say to me, "I'm hungry," and she would want a bowl of cereal and she would eat one bite and she would go back to bed. And you know, which Jewish mother can put their child to bed hungry, right? Could you put your kid to bed hungry? No, you would feel terrible about yourself, and you would, you know, you just wouldn't do it. Then I learned this and I realized that this is not working for my family or for me. I don't want to be making food, um, you know, after supper and the spare time and we're changing it. So I told them after bed, there's no food, um, because unless there's a fruit or a vegetable because that worked for me and it's a fruit and a vegetable, you can help yourself, which means I'm not peeling your carrot. If you can go find a banana or apple, you can give yourself. For our family, that allowed for some leeway because sometimes, you know, I didn't make the best supper, I didn't make the worst, like it wasn't stuff they like. And I will constantly still, three years later, remind them at the meal, guys, you don't have to eat anything you don't want to at supper time, but there's no food after supper. And it depends. If I haven't planned the structure properly, I might give them a snack afterwards. If your kids are five and you, if supper is at 5.30 and now it's lockdown and they're going to sleep at nine, then very possibly at eight o'clock they will need a snack. So it's not about being draconian and we never get snacks after the meal. It's about habits and the overall approach to feeding. If the overall approach to feeding is you don't eat supper, then you come to mommy and she makes you a snack wedge and she's a constant 24-hour chef, then that's not good for anyone. If sometimes you need a snack after supper, of course. But generally you want a structure where you know what's expected and not expected. So kind of my bigger kids now, my two older ones, because they are more eating competent and they, you know, can be trusted more, after supper they can give themselves whatever they want from the kitchen, but I'm not helping them, which means I'm not coming and giving you cereal or making you toast. If you can go and you can make yourself, you can, because they're moving to an older stage of more responsibility and we do move them towards that stage. So it's not a blanket rule, but if every single night your kid's getting into, into bed and saying, I'm hungry, then you have to relook at your structure, relook at your pressure. Are you pres- is a meal time so pressurizing that your child can't eat? Are you making such a big deal about it and forcing them and saying, have three bites before you can watch your, you know, fireman Sam or before you can play on the iPad, then they're not going to be able to eat. So it really is a whole context around feeding. That's why we call it the feeding dynamics model. We don't call it like, yeah. yes. 
so, so, yeah. so, so that's what's actually called the SATA um, feeling dynamics. Um, so the SATA division of responsibility and feeling, and it's also called the feeling dynamics model. And it really is about a dynamic. How do your how do you relate to food? How do your children relate to food? How do you relate to structure? How do you relate to variety? How do you relate to discipline? You know, really, and often feeling things become parenting things. So a parent will say, you know, what if my child puts their feet on the table? Like, I don't know, what would you do if they did something else you did on alcohol? That's not a feeling thing. But often they'll let them misbehave at the table in a completely inappropriate ways. Why? Because anything to get them eat. Anything to get them to eat. And things which are totally inappropriate in other circumstances for that family become okay at the table. And kids know this and they take advantage of it. And they know that whatever I do is fine because all my mummy cares about is that I finish my plate. And so you're seeing where all the complexities come in. <laughs> And the guilt and the, and, and the guilt, often parents have a lot of guilt. You know, if my parent, child doesn't eat supper, what kind of a parent am I? If they only eat chicken without the, you know, the rice and the lentils and the cauliflower, how can they be healthy? So much of our own judgment and our own beliefs we put onto our child with often very detrimental results. I've actually had um, parents who've come to me and I always go through their own feeding history. And one father, I'll never forget this, um, their child, I can't remember. I mean, she was struggling with their weight and with a lot of picky eating. She never ate fruit and vegetables. And he said that when he was maybe 50, and he said that when he was young, he would never eat fruit or vegetables, and his parents would pay him. And he would still refuse. This is, and like, pay him a lot of money. He would still refuse, and to this day, he won't eat a fruit or a vegetable. So that's, even though it's quite extreme, you can see that it's not only about now. It's really about the long term. And often, parent, where parent, people who struggle with eating for whatever reason today, they can trace it back to that food was made such an issue of they were forced to eat their beans and now they hate beans, right? So maybe you're, you're well done, you've got your child to swallow the beans, good. But what have you actually accomplished? Nothing. You've actually unaccomplished something because now you've limited the things your child can eat as they get older. So you really... Okay, we're going to take, yes. take another short uh, ad break and uh, we'll get back and start Karen speaking. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam. Pharmacist who care. Welcome back to Discare Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. We're speaking to Elia Naklan about uh, childhood nutrition and uh, and eating. It's been a very fascinating um, conversation. I just wanted to bring up Elia. What about the dynamic of many kids eating together? You know, thank God, there's often more than one uh, one child in the house. Each of them have their different. Um, each of them have their different picky eating habits. Do you think that they um, project onto the others or do they take notice of what the others are doing? So 100%. So now if you if, I, if you would take one thing on in any family, what would support um, what would support positive eating for life? It would be to have family meals. Now you're going to say they're going to start support, they're going to start, you know, influencing other and everything. Family meals are associated with so many positive outcomes, emotional, social, psychological, physical, um, better academic records. This is all research-based. I can give everyone the research if they want to. If you can have a family meal, you know, a couple a couple times a week, you are doing the best service to your children. Why are you doing the best service to your children? Because meal times become about connection. They become, when you take off all the pressure, it's not about what you're eating, it's not about who, how many carrots you eat and how many peas and how many pieces of chicken you eat. It becomes about connection. It becomes about family time. And your children start looking forward to meals. And 
you remove the and when so you're talking about how to do children get um influence influence the other do children get influenced by other picky eating if you make an issue of it and it becomes a big focus of attention and the whole meal is trying to coerce one child into eating something your other children might see oh i can get attention from it oh i should copy them oh it's interesting when it becomes a non-issue it's irrelevant everyone eats what they eat and um it doesn't matter who eats what and we don't say yucky about food that's the rule we have in our house we don't say ugh, that's disgusting we just say that's not my taste or i don't want that now you take away all that focus on the picky eating and it becomes about the experience. And my children come to the table once in a while. They're like, I'm not hungry. I say, I don't mind if you're not hungry. You need to sit at the table. You don't have to eat one thing. You're an important part of the family. And they just like swell up with pride. And it really is true. Meals are about connection. And in that positive connection, over time, you'll see they try out new foods. Why? Why, why are meals, meals so important? Because if family meals so important, if you know your child never eats Cucumbers, you never put them on their plate and they never see them. At a family meal, you start seeing what other people eat. You start seeing what your sister eats. You start seeing what your mommy eats. Children want to grow up. They want to be like their parents. And they, and when you show them that this is what you eat, they'll know that one day they'll start to eat that too. Not, not an expectation, but they kind of like, you know, associated with them. So family meals are literally, I'm glad you brought it up, the most important thing, along with taking all the pressure off. Um, picky eating, I've got children of very picky eating at different stages and they've never influenced each other simply because um, I've never made any issue of it. I literally ignore it. Here's another one, Nana. If you want to know how should I feed my child, feed your child like you would feed a guest, a guest who you like, a guest who you respect, and a guest who you not have no emotional investment in. Now, obviously, you have emotional investment in your children, but the best outcome for nutrition and healthy relationship to food is is a, is, is a guest. So can I ask you something? If you had a guest for Shabbos and they came and they said, sorry, um, I don't feel like soup tonight, would you beg them to try it? No, of course not. Of course not. Then you can't have my wife's amazing dessert. Would you say that to them? <laughs> it's a great, it's a great marshal, a great... Um, well, how, well, how would you feel if there's someone... If, how, how do you think they would feel? No, it's amazing. That's amazing. I wouldn't think like that. I mean, to see, you almost think, you know, you're in control, so you wouldn't, you know, you can almost like force your children to do what they want, but it's a great, um, right. it's a great example well, on how well, to... How, well, how would you feel if you went to someone and they said to you, unless you eat this, you can't have dessert? Yeah. Amazing. So you feel terrible. You would feel like, you would feel like, you feel your independence was taken away, you would feel... You know, you're not going to eat it even if you want to do And we do that to our children all the time, right? Now, what happens if your child is, um, if you're, if, you, if, a, if a visitor comes to you and you know they're a vegetarian? Would you go and make everyone eat vegetarian food? Or would you just like make sure that you had a few things which are appropriate for them? Right? No, so, I guess you put so out whatever for them, yeah? So, so another important thing about this is it's really not about being authoritarian and a being, you know, cruel and a being like, this is what the meal is, eat it or starve to death, God forbid. Okay, eat it or starve. It's about, we call it being considerate without catering. It means that there's always something on the table someone can eat, but I'm not cooking your own meal. So tonight we have fish and we have salad and we have, um, you know, um, I don't know, what do we have? We have some pasta and you know that your kid's not going to eat any of it. So you put something else on the table, maybe crackers or something, which... There's a terrible noise that's coming and distorting. Sorry. 
All right, just check now. I, 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 I'll just check if it's from yours. I can hear you fine. I don't know if you can hear me. I can, hear you, I can hear you also. Because um, okay. it's really about treating your children with the respect and trust they deserve around mealtimes. And parents will say to me, well, then they'll only eat chicken or they'll only eat sweets or everything. Maybe for a little bit. But as you remove the pressure, you remove the power struggle and you put in structure in place. Over and over and over, your parents will be shocked. And I still get shocked every day because, not every day, but I still get shocked when it works, even though I believe in it so much and I teach it and I'm so passionate about it. It's so awesome to see it actually in action. So my little boy, I think I started giving this example, he's nearly six. He's my oldest, actually, my oldest boy. And he's always been quite a selective eater. He doesn't like, you know, um, mixed things. He doesn't like spicy food. He likes very plain food and he has been very slow to take on new foods. Over Pesach, he went on this huge growth spurt, or the growth spurt because he was literally hungry every hour, which is very unlike him. And due to the fact that we've, thank God, created an environment where there's no pressure around food, he ate some um, steak and he ate some um, fillet and he ate he made some lamb chalent, which for him was huge. That was totally, and some lentil soup, which was totally, totally radical for him. And this was three years of waiting. So my message is, it's really a long-term game. It's really about the marathon, not the sprint. Okay, so you head in those carrots and those cucumbers into your, you know, thing which looks like a chocolate biscuit and your child ate it. That's great. But in the long term, and if you enjoy making those foods and you enjoy hiding foods and things and making everything nutritious, and I sometimes do, it's wonderful. But in the long term, your child is not going to learn food acceptance, right? So they're never going to be able to eat blueberries and by themselves if they've always been hidden and mushed up into something. So we really want to think about food acceptance, and food acceptance goes with constant non-judgmental exposure. So letting them at the right age help you cook, help you shop, make recipes, watch cooking videos if that's something your family enjoys doing. And just if I would say one, 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 the one word which would go down to it, it would be um, trust. Trust your child is a good eater. They will move along at their own pace trust that they don't have to eat three perfect meals every day and with time they will balance themselves out. And it's a very different to how we approach children. We do not trust them. We do not trust ourselves around food. So how can we trust children around food? And this model just takes away this huge pressure, which most parents feel, and they can actually focus on, you know, being a parent and, and enjoying their children as opposed to every single meal becomes a fight. Every single meal becomes a war. Every single meal becomes about bribing and threatening. Okay, we're going to take our final ad break and then we can go on speak a bit about junk food and overeating this is medical monday brought to you with compliments of discam pharmacists who care welcome back to the final few minutes of discam medical Monday. we're speaking to eliana klein about children's nutrition and uh, eating uh, eliana how do we handle junk food in the house we make it that we give them Sometimes, do we limit it? Do we let them have access to it? I know in uh, different households, there's different uh, approaches. One parent might be that, uh, you know, very cautious and sugar is the devil in bed, and others is, well, let them eat what they want, because then if you withhold it from them, you know, they're going to become obsessed with it. So, right. often a fine so, so junk food is the most contentious issue out there. And more than anything, before you talk about junk food, you have to ask yourself, what is my goal for feeding my children? You can control your child when they're young, but what do you want them 
to be like when they are out your home? What do you want them to be like at a kiddush when you're not there to control, at a party when you're not there to control, when they have their own home and their own money and they can feed themselves? How do you want them to be? Right? So parents, we don't think of this often. We think about stop sugar now, eliminate sugar now, sugar bad now. Right? Without actually having a long-term view. And I used to be so extreme about this. I was the parent who was sure my kids are never going to eat sugar till they're 25 and everything would be healthy and homemade and they would never know what a chocolate was. <laughs> and then I had a child and another child and another child and I learned about a healthy relationship to food. So most parents, when it comes down to it and they think about it, they say, well, the, I want my child to be able to be normal around these foods, right? And we talk about, you know, are you normal around these? Do you know people who are normal? Do you see people who know feel out of control around these foods and we talk about where it comes from and it's a very tricky balance and it's something which I have I'm still learning about today with my children about trust and basically the approach is you want to give them enough opportunities to have it that it becomes not a big deal so the first thing we do is we offer it in a structure right we offer it at a certain time right it's not even about the junk food. It's about just gnashing on it all the time. And then we try sometimes offer it without limits so they can learn their own limits, right? My kids now know that some ice make them feel sick because they've had a bunch of times to have ice and without any judgment, without any pressure, without any bribing or rewarding or anything. And they know that they know their limits. Some of them don't have limits around certain foods. It's a very, very, as I said, a long-term game. But your real goal around junk food is to offer enough opportunities within a structure without any judgment for them to learn their own limits. And they do learn their own limits. It means that um, we don't ever reward and bribe with junk food. And we have some access sometimes. It means that we sometimes say no, we sometimes say yes without a reason. Because sometimes it's, sometimes it's time for sweets and sometimes it's not. We try to take all the emotional you know, excitement and the terror away from it. When you cause food junk food, you make it more exciting. When you make it, lock it up in a cupboard all the way, you make it more exciting. So when it comes down to it, it means probably if you're someone who's very concerned about these kind of foods, giving them more than you would like, but within a structure and over time, they become not a big deal. I mean, and I've seen it happen over lockdown like so many times, you know, like there's certain things which we didn't have a lot of at home. We had them on Shabbos and certain things and over lockdown, we needed more snacky foods in the house to get through. And the other day I found like a packet of their favorite chips, like uneaten and opened. And I said, who wants to finish them? And no one did. And these things really do surprise me. And then there are times when they'll also have, you know, all the chocolate and my eyes will pop open and it won't be enough for them. So it's really about trust. Trusting your child has inner regulation. They can control themselves and they need opportunities to eat without judgment, without guilt, without forcing um, and, and to go from there. So it's about a balance. The worst, worst thing you can do is ban junk food from your house. Make a huge deal when your kids eat it. Tell them how unhealthy they're going to be, how their teeth are going to fall out, how that's addictive, how it messes up their brain. All you're going to do is make them like it more, feel guilty when they eat it. Maybe they'll start hiding it, sneaking it. You're not going to make them stop liking it and get confused. So really have it in the home. Um, offer it on occasion, in structure. Talk to your children. Say, what do you want to have more of in the house? This is really my favorite topic. It's all my favorite topic, but the junk food one was such a learning for me. You know, um, such a learning for me. And it really is like a three-hour talk, and I can give everyone um, blogs and books and stuff they can read about it. But it's been a huge learning for me to learn that I can trust my children. And there's certain things the other day my son said, can we buy fizzers? I said, no. 
I don't mind if you have them at parties. I don't mind if you have them on Purim, but they're not something I choose to give to you. Why? Because I'm still in charge of the what. Right? There are things I won't have in the house. And there are things I will have in the house. And as your children get older, a wonderful thing you can do with them is talk to them. Say, what do you want to have more of? So every once in a while we have a discussion about what we want to have more of at home. Sometimes we have it, sometimes we don't have it. But just not being so scared of junk food. The more um, scary you make it for your children, the more you make them want it. And the more you limit it, those children, you can always tell the kids who the ones who don't have any access to these foods at home or in a very limited way. They're the ones who go to the parties and the kiddishes and the the brisses and they literally stand by the table and they can't stop eating and they just like they eat way beyond comfort. They eat way beyond enjoyment because they're so scared they're not going to get it again. And we really want to move away from that from our children. And it means a lot of just biting your tongue, a lot of trust, a lot of just knowing it's okay in the long term. And with time, you you know, it's amazing to see my kids really, you know, stop themselves sometimes. And sometimes they don't stop themselves. But to really not be so scared of it and go back to what we said at the beginning, that it's about balanced nutrition over time. So on Shabbos and Sunday, we eat. Yeah. On Shabbos and Sunday, you know, maybe you eat a lot of sugar, but, you know, over the week we try to balance it out. It's very short. I think, you know what I think we're going to have to do, Leon? I think we've got to wrap up now, unfortunately, but I think we're going to have to do a whole show on overeating and junk food because there's just so much to speak about and I feel like we've just started um, it's a huge so it's a huge yeah it's a and huge it's topic so, overeating and junk food and it's and it's so important and it's been so um interesting and informative for me as a parent and as a doctor so for sure we'll get you back but uh let me know how we can we get hold of you how can people okay, get so, hold of so, you when I'll share so that, so the easiest way is um, www.feedingcoach.co.za and I've also got a Facebook page um, and an Instagram page and my phone number is 078-139-9075 and it's eliana at feedingcoach.co.za. So the easiest is just to, yeah, probably just email me eliana at feedingcoach.co.za or my website www.feedingcoach.co.za. Thank you so much for your time and we look forward to having you back. Um, Thank you, everyone, for joining us on Discare Medical Monday, 101.9 IFM. To all those healthcare workers uh, like myself, very opening today. Stay safe. Everybody will remember to sanitize, social distance, wear your masks, and please God, we'll see you back next week at 10 o'clock. Thank you, thank you.